there's much sorrow and pain in our community, even as we meet here tonight. Many tears are shed and will be. Many are weeping. I wonder if it would surprise you to know that Jesus wept. We ought to be astonished by it, for he is the one who has no beginning nor end. He is God, enfleshed. He is the great beyond. He is the immutable, he is the unchangeable one. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the one who shared fellowship with the Father before the world was. This one wept. Jesus wept. In fact, the scriptures tell us of three specific occasions where he did. This is not to say his weeping was limited to those three episodes, but those are the three that are recorded. Perhaps you're aware of them. One is in Luke chapter 19. I'll just briefly tell you about it. Beginning in verse 41, here's what it says. When he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he, here's where, he wept over it. In one week in that city, he'll be crucified. I don't think he was weeping so much over that eventuality. He wasn't weeping about what would happen to him. He was weeping over what was going to happen for them. Being God, he knew that in a relatively short time, that city would be besieged by Titus, a Roman general, and his 10th savage Roman legion, and that one million residents of Jerusalem would be slaughtered. It's so ironic because the word peace is contained in the word Jerusalem. I don't know if you knew this. Yeru Shalom, meaning peace. Yeru Shalayim, city of peace. And the Lord wept because he knew though they could have peace, they missed, he said, the things which make for peace. Forty years after the Lord wept over the city, Titus came in A.D. 70 and so demolished the city that even the, it was burned to the ground and even the temple was destroyed. The only thing remaining was not even a part of the temple. It was a wall that held together the uh, earthen platform on which the temple stood. Ironically, that wall is referred to popularly as the Wailing Wall. Jews wail, weep there even today. But before they did, the Jewish Messiah stood on the Mount of Olives looking over the city and he wept. He is a just God, but he takes no pleasure in the outpouring of his wrath on the unjust. What pleases him is the bestowal of his mercy and grace, but he won't do it uninvited. He wept over Jerusalem. Then the book of Hebrews says something interesting. It's in chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. He prayed, the Son of God prayed to Father God, and he was heard, and yet he died. 
So in what sense did the father answer his prayers? Well, the Lord prayed to be saved from death, but he wasn't praying to be saved from the reality of death. No, no. The original language actually says he was praying to be saved out of the consequences of death. And the father answered. You know what the proof of it is? The resurrection. He was saved from the ultimate consequence of death, and that is eternal separation from the Father. No, the Father saved him from that. Up from the grave, he arose. Those are two incidents recorded in the Bible in which the Lord wept. And interestingly, there's a third, and it's in the passage before us tonight, and I did not plan this. I think God did. We've been in John for a long time. We've been in John chapter 11 for, I don't know, three, four, or five Wednesday nights, which leaves us with the next installment in John chapter 11 tonight. It begins in verse 27, and it culminates in another statement about the Lord shedding tears. Bear with me until we get there by first looking with me, if you don't mind, to John chapter 11, verse 27. Let me lay some groundwork for the climax of the text. John chapter 11, verse 27. She said to him, that's Martha. Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. What is the context? Well, if you recall last week, the Lord, well, he delayed in coming to Bethany. Martha's beloved brother Lazarus had passed away. She and her sister Mary somehow got word to the Lord. He was elsewhere. The Lord heard, the Lord loved, the Lord delayed. In the interim, Lazarus passed away, but then the Lord comes Martha runs out to meet him. She says, Lord, if you were here, this would not have happened. And he says, ah, your brother shall live. And she states what seems to be a fairly generic, ambiguous notion of eternity. Oh, Lord, I know, says she, that all will share in the resurrection. You know, later on, sometime in the future, he said, future, nothing. He said, remember when he declared, I am, not, not, not then, now I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah, yeah. And then he said to her, what he says to us. It was in the form of a question. He said, do you believe these things? And this is Mary's response. She said, look how clear. Yes, Lord, I have believed. What? That you are the Christ, Messiah, anointed one, the Son of God, no less a God than Father God. You are the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And that glorious confession is exactly what the author of this book, John, is really up to. I hope you and I don't miss, as we look at the details, I hope we don't miss the real purpose for the book. I'll state it to you. It's not my idea. It's in the book. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these have been written. What? Everything in the book. All the miracles and words and works of the Lord Jesus. These have been written. Why? John says, so that you may believe not be informed, that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ. That was Martha's confession, the Son of God. That's what Mar Martha agreed to, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of this gospel of John, this biography of the Lord Jesus written under inspiration 
by John himself. And interestingly, the confession of the simple woman from Bethany corresponds to other confessions in this very book. For instance, John the baptizer, the immerser, confessed in John chapter 1, verse 34. He said, I have myself seen and have testified this is the Son of God. Then there was Nathaniel, who also confessed in John chapter 1, verse 49. Rabbi, he said, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Do you remember the Samaritans in their confession in John chapter 6, verse 69? We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And there was Thomas, who himself confessed in John chapter 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God. <clears throat> Martha's confession was just like theirs. Is yours like Martha? See, that's the issue. Do you believe these things? Yes or no? Yes or no? <clears throat> well, when she had said this, verse 28, she went away, Martha did, and called Mary, that's her sister, saying secretly, she whispered to her, there was a house full, Mary was in the house, Bethany was close to Jerusalem, many came to offer their comfort and consolation, many Jews, mostly unsaved, I'm certain, and they were there. It's a Jewish practice to be with those grieving the loss of a loved one. It was a period of time, at least a week. They would come and go. They'd bring food. They'd require nothing of the grieving ones. They came to give a word, a look, and a touch. And so Martha goes back to the home. Again, Mary's not alone there. She whispers to Mary. She doesn't want to attract undue attention. There are many in the house. And so what she whispered to Mary is about the Lord who is there. And in verse 29, when she heard it, Mary, that is, she got up quickly and she was coming to him. So she left the house because he was on the precincts of Bethany, probably not in the village proper just yet. Mary goes out to see him, verse 30. Now Jesus, it says, has not yet, you see, come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha had met him. And then the Jews, here we go, the Jews who were with her, see, in the house uh, and consoling her. When they saw Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her. They had good intentions, you see. They supposed she was going to the tomb to weep there. It's Jewish practice that you must bury a deceased person within 24 hours. We'll find out later in the text some other time. It's about four days since Lazarus passed away. They thought his grieving sister was going out to the tomb to grieve some more, and they very kindly, did not want her to go alone. So the whole house empties out, as you could see, what Mary and Martha intended to be kind of private, a conversation with the Lord. Well, that's not happening. The whole community is there. Verse 32, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell at his feet. She believed in him, you know. And, and she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said the same thing her sister did, didn't she, earlier on? These are women of faith. They knew the Lord, but like us, their faith has to mature. Their knowledge of the Lord has to grow, just like ours. She didn't have full understanding. You see, because the Lord could have pronounced resurrection upon the brother, whether he was there or not. He has that power. She didn't understand. She confined his miracle-working power to his literal presence, but he's not limited by space and time. He chose not to heal Lazarus that way. He was up to something better. Anyway, that's what she said. So verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. 
So now I'm gonna say something to you that will surprise you, but I, I, think, I think it's true. Um, you see the term deeply moved? Do you know what it really means in the original language? He was angered. I'm not making this up. I think you can check me out if you have the resources to do so. It means he was angered. In fact, you see the word that comes next, troubled? It means he was agitated. He was angered. I'm referring to the Greek. That's what underlies this text. He was deeply angered. Which begs the question, about what? At a time like this, what angered him? Could I just make some suggestions? I think Satan angered him. I think sin angered him. I think the consequence of sin, death, angered him. Look, Mary and Martha are grieving the passing of their beloved brother, but the Lord's grief is compounded. His is like a cosmic grief. It's not limited to one Lazarus. He's in the midst mostly of unsaved Jews, and he knows the whole world is largely consisting of unsaved people, and he's angry that many of those will refuse him the resurrection and the life and pass on into eternity. They'll be plunged into eternity forever apart from him. He is angry at the father of lives, Satan, who's darkening people in their understanding. He's angry at Satan, who's tempting to people to do the thing. It's in their nature, but he tempts it out of us, and that is to sin. And he's angry that sin leads to death. He's angry. He's agitated. The sorrow and the pain that this community is experiencing at this point affected him. He's angry because he knows it shouldn't be this way. It didn't have to be this way. This is not my father's doing. This is not my doing. In fact, the Lord saw death not as something to welcome. He saw it to be an unnatural thing invading what he and the Father intended. Life, not death. In fact, the Lord Jesus came to wage war against death. It's the last enemy. In fact, by his death and resurrection from death, he defeated death. Oh, death, where is your power? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death has been removed. So I think he's angry by, by all this and troubled by it all. Death was not meant to be. It's not what God created. Death came because of Satan's temptation and man's sin and rebelliousness. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man, that was Adam, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why not? For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Death was not God's intent. Death was the consequence of man's disobedience. You know what Satan said hot on the heels of God's declaration? Satan, in the same book, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, Satan said simply, you surely shall not die. God said one thing, Satan said another. Who's telling the truth? 
the very next chapter, or one of the early chapters, Genesis chapter 5. Let me read this to you, and you tell me who spoke the truth. Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 8. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14, so all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Verse 20, so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Verse 27, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Verse 31, so all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Who told the truth? Yeah, God told the truth. We die. But death is not natural. It's an enemy, and the Lord Jesus came to wage war against it. And so he says in verse 34, where have you laid him? Where did you put Lazarus? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. They wept. He wept. He was moved by their pain. Listen, the Greco-Roman gods influencing many in this very day were characterized by something they thought to be virtuous. It was called in Greek apatheia. Does it sound like a word? We know apathetic. You take the a, the a, and put it before a word, pathos. Pathos means feeling, compassion. Ah, pathos nullifies the pathos. You don't have pathos. You don't have an emotional connection. This was true of the Greek and Roman gods. They were transcendent. Those who worshipped them were on their own. The Greek gods did not attach themselves to them. But this text says... Satan's gods cannot be compared to the God of the Bible. For though the Greek gods were apathetic, Jesus wept. Revolutionary. He was angered by sin. We spoke about that and death. But he was moved at the same time with compassion for the dying sinner. That's how he is. Angered by sin. Moved with compassion for the sinner. Oh, he came to wage war. His first coming against sin, but not the sinner. He came to save the sinner. He's the perfect combination between holy indignation and a heart of compassion, the likes of which we cannot hardly wrap our mind around. Surrounded by unbelievers, who apart from him uh, were on their way to an eternity of sorrow and pain and weeping and gnashing of teeth, surrounded by them all, he wept for those who upon their death would suddenly be thrust into a Christless eternity. He was angered by sin, but had great compassion for the sinner. You see, he knew, as Paul so wonderfully stated for us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So he wept for the calamity of sin and the lives of those who would not accept him as the one who provided a solution to sin and death. Now, there are two different words used in this text. 
the people wept and the Lord Jesus wept, but it's not the same word for weeping. Their weeping was characterized by almost unrestrained, uncontrollable uh, outburst of emotion. His weeping was measured, controlled. It was the quiet shedding of tears. Why is that? Their weeping was an indication of their hopelessness. They grieved as ones without hope. But the Lord Jesus knew what was coming. He even came there to raise Lazarus from the dead, a foreshadowing of his resurrection work on behalf of all those who would be by faith united with him. So his weeping was not the weeping of hopeless despair. He knew he came to wage war against the last enemy death, and he knew he would conquer it. So his weeping was entirely different, not without hope. He came to do something about the sin and death problem, and he knew he would win victory over both. So let me complete the words of Paul, which we referred to in Romans 6.23, only shared part A. Here's what the whole verse says. For the wages of sin is death. But, that three-letter word makes a lot of difference. But the free gift of God is do you know what it says? Yeah, it, it, what does it say? No, no, not death. Eternal life. Where, 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 where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why he didn't weep as, uh, in a hopeless way, nor should we. When I was studying this text, it occurred to me that it wasn't only tears that emanated from the Lord Jesus. There was also blood. Jesus wept. And Jesus bled. And so his weeping was different than theirs. He did not weep or wail in despair. He came as the solution for sin and death. It's his shed blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus wept. You know that is thought to be the shortest verse in the Bible, isn't that right? That's not exactly true. Um, it is the shortest verse in the English Bible, English translation. It is not the shortest verse in the Greek translation of the New Testament. The shortest verse in the Greek translation of the New Testament can be found in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse 16, you know what it says? Rejoice always. I want to combine the two in closing. Because Jesus wept over the sin and death problem which has befallen us because all have sinned, therefore we have been given a cause to rejoice always. Because he wept over the last enemy death and waged war against it and won it. Therefore, you and I can rejoice. Death will not have the last word. Tears came from Jesus. So too did blood. Rejoice always. For though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It takes the red blood of Jesus to cover up for the scarlet nature of our sin. Rejoice always. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He rose up first fruits of life after death so that all those who attach themselves to him by faith will share in life after death. Do you believe these things? Yeah, see, that's, that's the Lord's question. Do you believe these things? if you would like some help <laughs> in arriving at an intelligent answer to that piercing question. Spend some time with us before you leave tonight in a room right behind where we sit now called the Connection Center. We'll meet with you. We'll pray with you. We'll help you in answering intelligently that question. Do you believe these things? Jesus weeps over your destiny apart from him. And Jesus bled so that you can have a way out. I pray you avail yourself of that marvelous grace of Jesus before you leave tonight. In fact, I'm going to pray that now and then our pastor is going to join us. Lord Jesus, if we bow before you. Now, we would be doing this, Lord, in vain if you were crucified, buried, period, end of story. <laughs> But no, 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 it's a comma. Crucified, buried, and resurrected. Up from the grave, you arose. You were vindicated in the resurrection. Everything you said, declared, promised, finds its vindication in your resurrection. Those of us who by faith have died in a way, by faith having identified with your death, also by faith and in union with you, will share in your resurrection from death. It is tragic when life is taken unexpectedly, but frankly, Lord, the biggest tragedy when a life is taken unexpectedly, end of story, and there is no hope of eternal togetherness with you, eternal life. I pray, oh God, that those of us who you have saved made this wonderful deposit in would spread the wealth now more than ever seeing how critical and crucial it is for an invitation to confess sin turn to you express belief in the things you've said i hope we see how important and significant that is more than ever before none of us is guaranteed tomorrow we pray oh god for those who perhaps are shaky tonight for various reasons, need a little comfort, counsel, and support, I pray they would make their way to the Connection Center, if nothing else, for prayer with someone who cares. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for shedding tears and blood that we might be spared the wrath of God to come. Thank you, O oh God that as you rose from death, so too shall we, to live with you forevermore. And in this, no matter what, we are determined to rejoice always. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.